Well, good morning. This fall, we are looking at some of the invisible characters that show up along the pages of Scripture, the supporting actors and actresses. We're moving beyond the big guns and uncovering a few Bible characters who deserve attention but never seem to get any. We've looked at Zelophehad, and we really looked at his five daughters and uh, how they changed, really, the law and, and how women were treated in the Old Testament. Last Sunday, we looked at Korah, who led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron and was swallowed up by the earth for that, and, and yet his descendants left us some beautiful psalms. Someone emailed me this week and said, you know, I went and I, I used for my devotions this week the 11 psalms of Korah. It's like, oh, someone was listening and paying attention, and why didn't I think of that? This morning, we shift gears to the New Testament, and we're going to look at a character called Dorcas. She's found in Acts 9, if you have your Bibles. Something's not right here. I'm sorry. I for... The whole, you know, I have, I'm suffering, you know, because the mask and the glasses and the, I forgot to put on the mic earlier when I was in front of a mirror, and so it's just, you know, weep for me, right? but I think now it's better, as long as we can hear. All right, let's look. We, I, I actually changed the outline a little bit, so you've got to pay attention this morning. So I'll let you know when it changes, but we're starting with the setting. Let's put Dorcas into her context. The book of Acts is the second volume of the two books that... This is really bugging me. Sorry. My bad, not the sound person. Okay. You're going to edit this out, right? <laughs> it's just not right. I got to do this earlier. And now I weep for you. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then the, the continuing life of Jesus after his resurrection. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. You can look at the book of Acts in a lot of different ways. A simple way is, is first and foremost, the first 12 chapters deal with Peter, his ministry in Jerusalem as they bring the Gospel to the Jewish people. And the second is really the tracing of Paul's on his missionary journeys beginning in chapter 13 of Acts and moving to the end as he takes the the, the gospel into the Gentile world. So Acts records the spread of the gospel geographically, but it also talks about the spread of the gospel culturally or racially. All right? It, it begins with this totally Jewish audience, Peter's preaching in the upper room, and, and it takes the, the gospel out to the Gentiles, primarily under the ministry of Paul. But that transition from Jewish faith to Gentile faith was never going to be an easy transition. Racial transitions never are. And so we meet Dorcas at actually a rather pivotal moment in the book of Acts. Acts 9 verse 31 says this, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in, fear, in, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. It's growing because they had a time of peace. Why did they have a time of peace? Because the first half of, the, of Acts 9 describes the conversion of, Paul, of Saul. 
He was terrorizing the church. He goes in Acts 9 on the road to, you know, the story to Damascus. He meets Jesus. He is transformed. So they don't have this guy running around persecuting them. And his goal had been to disrupt the followers of Jesus as much as possible. And apparently he was very successful at it. Because after he comes to Christ, the text says, the church enjoyed a time of peace. And they grew through a time of peace. You can grow through a time of peace. And they did. I think we often romanticize what it must have been like to live through these early days of the church. But an honest reading of the book of Acts, it, it was, these were not easy days. The church was scattered. They were afraid for their own lives because they had just killed Stephen. They stoned him to death. And then you have this racial tension coming between the Jews and the Gentiles. How Jewish does a Gentile have to become to be a Christian? Because up until this point, you want to be a Jew, you got to be a Jew, the full nine yards. Well, now you've got this new faith, so, well, certainly they have to become Jewish, and then you can become Christian. And the racial tensions were very real and very personal. They will consume several of the letters that, 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 are, that are found in the New Testament. And where all this was going really was not clear at this point. And the disciples were part of the problem, not necessarily the solution. But here in Acts, Paul has come to Christ, and Peter's traveling about the land. Verse 32, as Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll your mat. Get up and roll up your mat. Sound familiar? It, I think it's supposed to. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. What you have here is obviously Peter doing what Jesus did. He goes to Lydda, or in the Old Testament, the city was Lod, L-O-D. We know nothing of Aeneas. He's another invisible. We know so little we can't make a sermon out of him, although we could try. We don't even know if he's a believer. It just says he's a man. It doesn't say anything about his faith. But the healing Peter did got the attention of the people of Lydda and along the plain of Sharon. That's the flat plain along the Mediterranean coast. I think there's a map coming up. It extends from Haifa in the north, which is that little jut out, all the way down the coast, Caesarea, Joppa, but Lydda. You can see where Lydda is. Peter's come from Jerusalem, apparently, to Lydda. He's about to go to Joppa, kind of on his way. So we're about to meet Dorcas. So, next point, who was Dorcas? Well, we don't know very much about her, personally, I mean, she is an invisible, by the way. Her name in Greek is Dorcas. In Aramaic, it is Tabitha. And both of those names mean gazelle. Verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. So here you go. Fun Bible trivia fact. Here is the first woman in the New Testament without a Hebrew name. First one mentioned with not a Hebrew name. Not, not sure. I'm sure there's a point, but I don't know what it is. Dorcas, or Tabitha, she lived in Joppa. 
which is a port city overlooking the Mediterranean Sea. Okay? Jaffa is what it is today. Ports are not common. Oh, the map's gone. Ports are not common uh, along the seacoast. It's a very flat seacoast. There are no natural harbors. The closest thing you've got is here in Joppa. And so, you know, they don't, don't, when you think port, don't think L.A. or Long Beach Harbor. That's not... I, we, I've been there once or twice. You walk it in 10 minutes. It's a small little thing where the boats could be safe if you, put, if you built a, a, you know... What's that thing called? That's it. What was it called? A break... A, the the, the, the wa breakwater. Oh, gosh. It's more fun in person, ain't it? <laughs> anyway, when Herod wanted to build a port, apparently the people in Joppa, they didn't really like Herod that much. They were very Jewish there. So he goes up north to Caesarea, builds Caesarea Maritima, which is a huge port, grand scale, amazing. And so that's farther up north. But down here in Joppa is just little thing. But the most important thing about her in verse 36, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She's a follower of Jesus. We don't know much about her or like where she lived, but she lived somewhere in the area of Joppa, and it says she kept busy by doing good and helping the poor, verse 36. There's a woman, a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. All right, next point. What happened to Dorcas? Okay, notice that's not next in your notes, but, but it's what's next in my notes. So we're going with mine. So what happened to Dorcas? Let's tell the story first. Verse 37. About that time, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. So Peter's not far away, 17 kilometers or so in Lydda. Dorcas gets sick and she dies. We don't know what she died from. We don't know what illness she had. Um, but it was serious enough to take her life. And so some of the other followers, they say, well, Peter's not that far away. Let's go get him. What did they want Peter to do? I don't know. It doesn't say. But he wasn't too far, so he came. Verse 39. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. He comes there. The body is laid out. It's upstairs. It's been washed. Some argue that they hadn't anointed it with, with perfumes and oils because they really wanted her to, to be raised from the dead. I, I, I don't know that much about the culture to know if that's true or not, but she's washed. She's upstairs, and she's probably been dead a while. How long does it take to go that far and get back? It takes a while. I mean, a day maybe. So she's very dead. And, and the widows are, are standing around the edge and they're weeping. And they show Peter what? The robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Tangible evidence of her life and what she'd done. And what happens next is proof of really the power of our God. Verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. 
She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, you think? And many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, this is outside the scope of where we want to go. But you've got to notice, this last line is not just a throwaway. He stays with tanner, a, a tanner named Simon. They're unclean tanners because they're dealing with what all the time? Dead bodies, dead animals. This transition, you, you, in the book of Acts, it's moving to this Jew-Gentile thing. And Peter, he's, that was probably somewhat influential that he stayed uh, in the home of Simon the tanner. But that's not really our point. So, bringing Dorcas back to life, it doesn't appear to be in the text, this is done really just for Dorcas. Peter knew she was with the Savior. He knew that her place with him was amazing. And his motive seems to have included some benefits to these people, these widows all weeping around the side of the building. And the resurrection of Dorcas proves to be a huge reason why revival strikes. The people come to know Christ in and around Joppa. So next question, what was Dorcas like? Well, we learned something about what she was like by seeing the reaction of those after she died. Verse 39, all the widows stood around crying, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. What'd she do? What was her trade? She was a seamstress. She sewed. And her most important tasks centered around what? Giving practical help to people in her community by just making clothes for them. Verse 36, she was always doing good and helping the poor. Here's the story of a woman whose desire was, was to help people and build the kingdom. She was industrious. She was compassionate. She was selfless and full of grace. But what do we learn from a woman who was raised from the dead? I mean, here's a godly woman who is so unusual because she was so usual. Most of the women in the Bible, they get a mention why. Because they married somebody famous. Or they gave birth to somebody famous. Or they did some miraculous thing that, that they're known for. Dorcas is one of the few women who became famous for doing something simple like sewing. Well, there is this thing about the resurrection which sort of makes her famous. She is the only adult woman in the Bible raised from the dead. But this never would have happened had she not been so faithful in using, I think, her needle to help make a difference in her community. So what does Dor Dorcas teach us? What are the lessons we can learn from her life? Because as far as we know, she's not this multi-talented female. She loved people and she used the gifts that she had to bless them. So four lessons from her this morning. Number one, Rise above your limitations. Rise above your limitations. We don't know a lot about Dorcas, but what we do know is that she rose above any limitations she had to make a difference in other people's lives. 
She was a woman. Back in the day, when in the first century, women were not valued. And she encouraged, and yet Jesus encouraged them to follow him. Dorcas didn't say, well, I'm just a woman, what can I do? She might have been single, by the way. There's no mention of, of a husband or children around her deathbed. It was a married couple's world in the first century as well. And yet single people like Jesus and Paul showed, eh, you don't need to be married to be used or be complete or to be significant. And Dorcas didn't say, well, I need a husband before I can do anything else in life. It seems that she's just overwhelmed by the needs all around her. And sometimes there are so many needs that we see that we, can, we just get paralyzed and we don't know what to do. And we can think, oh, there's just, the need is so big, I can't even meet it all. And so we just do nothing. There might have been a lot of things that Dorcas couldn't do, but she didn't focus on that. She said, look, I, I, I can sow, so I will sow. Remember when Moses was called by God to rescue the people out of Israel, and he keeps giving all of these excuses. And in the end, God says to Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? He's like, well, my shepherd's staff. Then throw it down. And when he picks it up, it becomes the rod of God. God used what was in his hand. If God had asked Dorcas what was in her hand, she probably would have just said, I just got a needle in my hand. Then that's what I'll do. I will use you with that needle. I can sew. She just needs some cloth. She's got her needles, and she gets some thread. She says, that's what I love to do, and that's what I'm good at. So I'm not going to let any other limitation hold me back. And she didn't belittle the little that she did have. There are a lot of things she could have done, but she chose this, and this is what she did. And she took what was in her hand, and she used it to meet the needs of those around her. So what's in your hand? You don't have to sew to minister to others, but you could. Maybe you can arrange flowers or sing, or do some coding, or decorate, or speak, or teach, or paint, or repair, or cook, or pray. See, whatever you do, if you invest it in other people and invest it in the kingdom, God will use it. And the question Dorcas forces me to ask is this, what am I going to do this week? How am I going to serve? What will I do to honor Dorcas for the sake of Jesus in the week ahead? It is time to move beyond our excuses and our self-imposed limitations. Rise above them. Rise above your limitations, even pandemic limitations. What's in your hand? Second lesson. I think Dorcas teaches us to value faithfulness. Value faithfulness. She didn't just help one person. She didn't just go find somebody who didn't have clothes and make it, and that was it. And they were piled up in her room. She made it her lifestyle. Verse 36, she was always doing good and helping the poor. Always. Now, we serve and we help, 
But is it our lifestyle? Is helping others something we do for the long haul? Because, yes, our roles and our ministries, I think they change over time. And they change from season to season. But are we still committed to faithfully living a life that serves other people? There were people living in and around Joppa who would have been cold in the winter, except that Dorcas made them some clothes. You see, the poor got a taste of the grace of God through this woman. She freely gave of her time and her talent to meet their need for clothing. I mean, she had a good example. God made clothes for Adam and Eve, and now she continues the grace. And because of her example, do you know what happened eventually? Dorcas societies grew up around the world, and women by the thousands provided clothing for the needy, which is, to be fully honest, why I chose Dorcas. My mother, when I grew up, went every month to Dorcas. When you get older, you think, you went to Dorcas. It's out, you know, it, it, it didn't quite make sense. But I guess they were part of this Dorcas society in the Covenant Church. I don't know. I, didn't even, I don't even know what they made. And I can't ask her now, so I don't know what they did. But they met every month, and they sewed. Here, it was, it's White Cross. But where I grew up and around the world, it was Dorcas. You see, I, I think there's a sense in which only eternity will ever begin to tell us the full impact of this one woman's good works. She's an example to all of us of the importance of doing good in the Christian life. You got some skills, then you use them for the kingdom. And be faithful in it. Titus 3.8. This is a trustworthy saying. And I, want you to, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, believers, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We sometimes forget the importance. We've got to do good things. These last 18 months have been only about what? Ourselves. Protecting ourselves. Providing for ourselves. Meeting our own needs. But as that drags on, seemingly forever, are you faithfully beginning to serve other people? We need to be constantly reminded to not become weary in doing good. Don't let your faith become a spectator religion. Jesus meant for all believers to be involved in the ministry of meeting human needs. Start where you are. Be that shining light of whatever he opens this week for you. You never know what burden you might lift. You never know the tear you might wipe away in somebody else's eyes. You don't know what life you touch or, or who you'll guide safely back to the Savior. See, it was her faithful life, I think, that was most significant. And you start where you are. She devoted herself to doing good in a way that benefited those who lacked. St. Francis of Assisi once said, Preach the gospel always. And if necessary, use words. 
whose life is better off because you're alive? What good thing or kind word or helpful deed have you done this week? Dorcas served always. She valued faithfulness, and so should we. Rise above your limitations. Be faithful. Third, we get a little bit heavy here. Death is a very real enemy. I think there's a serious side to this story of Dorcas. She died, and the grief around her was very deep and very real. And from this context, this is true. All death is a waste. We're very early in church history here. Peter doesn't come along and, and, and come up with our modern concept. Well, God must have taken her because her work is done. That's a contemporary, a modern idea. It, it makes us feel better, but it is speculation. We don't know that. It's not based on the revelation of God. You see, the work of Dorcas in reality was never going to be done. The poor are always with you. And so, even when she dies the second time, the work's still not going to be done. When Dorcas got so sick, death came as an enemy, not a friend. She still had much potential for service, which makes death our enemy. Because death robs us of life and the potential to do good. And you cannot help but feel when a young person dies, what a waste. They're full of life and enthusiasm and they are gone. And I think we ought to acknowledge the fact that that is a terrible waste. The loss of Dorcas was that kind of an event. Her life was such a blessing and now she was gone and the blessing she did with her hands was to cease. But there are some who are ready to die. And from all intents and purposes, their work really is done. They've given all that they can give. And they're ready to depart and be with Christ. But be careful about the conclusions that you draw. If the only role of death in our lives is to remove us when we're through with our tasks, then death would be a friend and a servant and not a negative thing at all. But death does not limit its role to those who are ready. It reaches the unready as well. And it takes some who've only begun to serve. Dorcas is dead, but she was not done serving all the needs around her. Joppa's a seaport. What happens with seaports? Boats leave. What happens sometimes? They don't come back. The storms in the Mediterranean can be fierce. And as a result, it was probably a city with a lot of widows and children without support. And she loved to serve them. And so the, the, the serving that they required and needed was endless. But you don't hear Peter coming along the scene and saying, oh, well, she's gone because her work is done. Instead, he does what he has never done before, and as far as we know, he will never do it again. He prays that Dorcas be allowed to live and finish her work. 
Peter must have said what a waste as he listened to the widows sharing how much Dorcas meant to them as they wept and showed him the clothes she had made for them and the people in the community and the children. And Peter was moved by this. Probably like Jesus was moved as he stood where? At the tomb of Lazarus. And he decided to seek a reverse of the tragedy. Now, the lesson for us is not to begin praying for the dead to be raised. This is a prayer that's only been answered a couple of times in all biblical history. So to call that prayer a long shot is an understatement. I think there's another lesson to learn, something different. And that is this, that death is a waste. That death is our enemy. Why? Because that level of honesty, if we can come to that place, we will understand that we fight the battle of good against evil. And that battle is serious. Because we tend to to try to incorporate death into, into the family of one of the servants of God. Like it's just something else he does. Really? We try to pretend that death isn't a robber. It's a mysterious friend. But death is an enemy. It is not a friend to the kingdom. It is always an enemy. And from the story of Dorcas, I think we have to learn to take it seriously. I cannot think superficially about life and death because there is a real battle of good and evil, and it is going on being waged in this world. There is a heaven, and there is a hell, and they are both very, very real. And it is better for us to face that reality so that we're ready. Because that enemy sometimes wins, but it will never win the war. Had Dorcas not been selected to be the one woman in history to illustrate the resurrection power of Jesus, there would have been blessings lost for sure. But the good news is that though her work for Christ wasn't finished, the work of Christ for her was finished. She was ready to die any time, no matter how wasteful it may seem to us. She would walk with Christ in her beautiful white garments, provided by the finished work of Christ on the cross. She wasn't going to lose because of her untimely death. Only us, only the world would lose. That's why the Christians were weeping. They missed her deeply because she was so precious and helpful to them. And Peter doesn't rebuke their tears. There's no hint that they're out of line at all. But we need to be ready to face the enemy of death every day. And the only preparation for that is by believing the promise that Jesus will provide for you eternal life. His death in your place provides forgiveness. His resurrection from the dead provides a receipt. Man, God accepts it, see, because I rose from the dead. Have you ever truly believed in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because death is a very real enemy. 
Just look at Dorcas and don't forget. Lesson number four. We'll get a little lighter. Endeavor to leave a legacy. Acts 9.39. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room, and all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. When she died, she left a legacy of the lives she had touched with the love of God. She was a very significant woman. When she got sick and died, her good works, they stopped. Joppa Community Church was devastated. They were willing to go to any lengths to get her back. She was too wonderful to lose. What will you be remembered for? It's an interesting question, a little bit scary. What was her legacy? Just her resurrection? Well, not completely. Dorcas belongs to a club, very exclusive club of people that God has allowed to come back from the dead. There are seven of them in the Bible. Eight, if you count the body that was thrown onto Elisha and came back to life. The majority of the people raised from the dead were young people. Elijah and Elisha each raised a young boy in the Old Testament. Jesus raises who? The 12-year-old daughter of Jairus and that young man, the only son of the widow of Nain. Paul raised the young man who fell off the roof because he preached too long, Eutychus. So five of the seven resurrections in the Bible are teenagers or younger. Huh. That means Lazarus and Dorcas are the only two named adults. It was on the resurrection they had a bunch of people raised, but they are the only two named adults in all of Bible history to be raised from the dead. One man, one woman. Both distinguished by what? Their love for other people. Dorcas and Lazarus are very unique individuals. The Gospels... And, and Acts, they're not setting us up so that we can follow this when somebody dies and we beg and we beg and we pray for a resurrection. No, God used these two people to bear a unique witness to the world. But what was the legacy? I don't think that's the legacy, the resurrection. I think we need to be careful because it was the way that she lived before she died that made her act of resurrection so powerful. Had she not been a loving person who reached out to touch the lives of those around her, her resurrection would have just been a spectacular event, kind of like magic. People would talk about it, but I don't think it would have made the impact that it did. Because there's no escaping this conclusion. The miracle of resurrection only had the power to move people to Christ because of the good works she'd already, that had already pointed them in his direction. Believers found joy in that moment. Unbelievers found Jesus. And the sickness that killed her was healed, and she was back to meeting the needs of people. So what's her legacy? Verse 39, all the widows stood around crying and showing in the robes. You see her legacy in the tears that flowed 
with those unnamed widows standing around that lifeless body. Dorcas was one amazing lady. She had used her talents to serve Christ. Her legacy, I think it is seen in her investment in the lives of those around her. Go beyond your limitations. See what's in your hand. Invest in others. There's the legacy to follow. So who can we touch this week with what's already in our hands to invest in them? There's the legacy to follow. How do you live a life of significance? You choose today to serve the Lord. Who are you serving? I think there's a fascinating aspect of her legacy because I see in Dorcas a glimpse of what the early church was and what the church is supposed to be, a close-knit family. First Corinthians 12 so that there should be no division in the body, that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Dorcas is one of us, they said. Her absence leaves a huge void in our lives. And we all have a role to play, therefore, as the church. So we need to each play our own role and play it well and play it with all of our energy. Her brief appearance in the New Testament is for us a constant reminder that we can make a huge impact if we just put other people first and don't think of ourselves first. And don't forget this out of Revelation 14. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, the Spirit says, they will rest from their labor. Why? for their deeds will follow them. Wow. Her deeds have followed her. Her name means gazelle, a beautiful animal. Joppa, the city in which she lived, means beautiful in Hebrew. God chose a beautiful place to do a beautiful miracle for a beautiful woman who had devoted her life to doing beautiful things. That tells us something about God and his love for us. And it tells us something about what truly is beautiful. May God motivate us to meet needs by doing good. So what will you do today? You gotta do something or at least think about it. And if you don't or are not able to answer the question, what happens if death strikes your door? I encourage you today to come to Christ, that you would believe in your heart that, that, that he said, I will provide for you eternal life. He is the only one who can do that because he paid the penalty for your sins. And because that penalty has been paid, he rose from the dead and said, here it is. Just believe me. We'd love to talk to you about that. There's a place you can put on the connect where you'd like to, to, to talk about that because that's the most important thing in the legacy of Dorcas. She didn't know. She got sick and she died. Not sure it was COVID, but probably, well, actually, I'm pretty sure it wasn't COVID. But what does it matter? Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we are challenged by this woman who just did what she could do always, and she changed her community. May we do what we can do that we might change our community. And today, if we've never come to you as Savior, we come believing that we might have hope if we face the enemy of death. Amen.